and welcome to VentureCast. This is David Hornick from August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also from August Capital. Howard, I was up all night doing email. <laughs> That's almost, almost many, true. It's not how many nights true. a week do you stay up late to do email? I mean, late for you is like 3.30 in the morning, not late. It's like 10.30 yeah. at night. Uh, no, so this is, a, I mean, I think the problem, here's the thing about email, right? Is that it is like a constant drumbeat. And so if you want to be respo- truly responsive, right? You want to, within the, within the day, respond to the emails you receive. It basically requires you every night to stay up for some number of hours and respond to emails. Which is a ridiculous, like, it, is that a good use of our time? I don't, I, I don't know. So what about the problem that each, if you're not careful how you respond to email, you generate more email? <laughs> totally true. If you're wimpy about it and you don't say, you know, okay, here's an answer, right? Not let's catch up this or blah, 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 but here's an answer, then it will generate additional email. And then here's the other thing, and I actually am very torn on this. I'm on a, you get these emails from a CEO to the board, or I'm on a nonprofit, so there are 25 members of the nonprofit board or uh, group, and there's something interesting, and then you hit respond all, right? And respond all is basically like congratulations or great job or thanks so much or it's super interesting. But if it's generated times 27 times, or you know, then that's a lot of like, oh, I'm glad you're happy, but click, 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 click. We click. do that here too. Vivek sends an email around. He's selling a company and it's like, good job, congratulations. Yay. And I, I'll send him a note directly and I leave everybody else off. Um, we just assume you hate Vivek. <laughs> no, no, I send him a note privately yeah, well, and then everybody that? else, and then I go, okay, and then I send another one and I copy everyone. So I've actually double, yeah, doubled exactly. it down. Exactly. Like we should just have a rule like, I have this with Kirsten. No emails that just say thanks. It's just to simply, I, I know you're going to do it, or you know I'm going to do it. There is no reason to say thank you. I totally email. get that. And I absolutely, so we just had this conversation uh, at the lobby. Uh, you should tell what the lobby is in case we have any newbies. Yeah, is there anyone? So the lo- So 10 years ago, this was the 10th anniversary. So 10 years ago, I was going to a bunch of conferences and I thought, gee, I don't get these conferences. Like you stand, you sit around in the dark and there are people up on stage and they can't really talk about the things they're really thinking because they're on stage and they're being reported and whatever else. And then all you really want to do is talk to the other people who are attending the conference. And so you hang out in the lobby and you chat with whoever's out there and you have a real conversation. But all the stuff that's really the content of the of the conference isn't that interesting. That, that was my theory. And so I created a lobby, which was get a couple hundred people together, unconference, hang out in someplace nice and have a, and have conversations about the things that are relevant to us. So one of those topics uh, that we've discussed many times over the, over the 10 years is email. So I was saying to someone uh, at, at the lobby that I had done exactly what you said and said to Mary, my assistant, hey, Mary, by the way, I type thanks or will you please or whatever, you know, a thousand times a month. And it's kind of wasteful. And can you, will you please assume that 
when I ask you to do things, I mean please and thank you and whatever else. And Mary's like, of course, fine. And so then for about a half a day, I just sent emails without thanks or whatever, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I could like, I just, I couldn't do it. It just felt so rude to me that I ultimately still spend, send a lot of thanks and whatever. To Mary. Yeah, to Mary. It's super inefficient. I acknowledge it is, but it somehow felt so wrong to me that I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to just. You say, should just put in your signature. Thanks <laughs> to everyone. Thanks for everything. Thanks for being there. Thanks for being a friend. The interesting thing about the lobby. So the lobby started out as a, you know, this is a digital media conference. Two hundred interesting folks, like you know, the CEOs of. Zappos or Warby Parker or uh, or Birchbox or whatever, like just a bunch of founders and of LinkedIn and Twitter, etc. And uh, when it started out, that we really focused on uh, business stuff. And these days, actually, you do it's kind of some business stuff, but it's a lot of like life stuff, right? Have you noticed that mm -hmm. people are? And maybe it's because we're getting older and we're closer to death. <laughs> hey, I invited a death guy to the lobby. That's true. How'd that go? Did you hear about this death company AB found? <laughs> what is that? I can't remember the name, but it's basically they buying up forests. And then you, for you or your family, you buy a tree. And a little name, your family name goes in the tree. And you can sprinkle your ashes around, around that tree. Around the tree. Well, it's certainly a better... And event. you can buy, like, a redwood for $10,000 or a... And do um, they promise it won't get cut down? They buy the forest. They're, like, protected wood, you know, lands and whatever, and you pay based on the type of tree, like how long the tree is going to live or how big it is or whatever, and then you and your family can go and spread your ashes. Like, that is an awesome death company. Well, it's certainly better than a plot of land. I, have to, I don't know if you're a, like, burial guy, but that always strikes me as weird, like... Hey, that dead dude's under here. Let's go hang out. <laughs> That's in Phillips Andover. That's what they do. Right? Yeah, they go. Well, they go hang out in the uh, in the in the cemetery, cemetery right? Uh, no, I'm just not a cemetery person. Back to the lobby. Sorry, I just I took. No, that no, I, I, didn't, I don't have anything about the lobby. No, I just so the email thing. This this you know. So we've talked lots about how do you fix how do you fix the email question and how do you solve the email problem and. Uh, and I don't have a good answer. So the answer is that I probably a couple nights a week spend a lot of hours on email. And I because I fly a lot, that's my best hope. Because if I fly cross country, I will clear my email. Right. Do you get it down to zero? Never, because I use my inbox as a to-do list. Same so as me. I'll have 10 or fewer things that sort of sit until I can get rid of them. So you'll go, I'll go from you know 150 to 10. But you never, yeah, I've never had the satisfaction of zero. That, like. You know, in Outlook, there's a thing you can do, like, Alt Shift Zero, and it only shows you the unread ones. I find that very confusing. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. <laughs> what do you, I, I sense a, there's a certain sense of malaise in this venture gas tower. <laughs> I mean, I certainly understand it, but like, well, that's because the U.S. elections were last week, and that's a whole different issue. No, and we promised that we wouldn't talk about the elections. Yeah. What's our so let's talk about let's talk about Silicon Valley. So, from from my perspective, I think a lot of people here maybe we're out of touch with what's really going on in the rest of the country. And how does that impact the types of companies we back? Or how does it impact um, 
you know, who are the actual consumers and what do they look like and what are they thinking? Um, and, and are we actually doing good things? You know, this, this discussion, is Silicon Valley creating jobs or is it destroying jobs? Like, I think it's worth talking about here. It's, I was just on this thing uh, called Silicon Valley Comes to the UK. And so it's a bunch of Silicon Valley types who go over to London and Cambridge. Boondoggle. <laughs> and meet the queen. Not a puppet. Uh, and, uh, and talk with entrepreneurs over there about the stuff they're working on, etc. So one of the folks who was there was a woman uh, who's over at X, formerly Google X, now X. And uh, she's done a number of things. And one, one of the things that, one of her lines, which I very much enjoyed, is that she said, to a certain degree, she's watched Silicon Valley, and it feels like... The TV show. Uh, no, the... the, the uh, Environment. The, the yeah. place we live. Yeah. Uh, and that these startups feel to her a little bit like young boys creating technologies to replace the things their mommies used to do. <laughs> which I think is like, you know... Pick you mean like your, food delivery? Yeah, pick up your sandwich, bring you your groceries, do your laundry. We were just discussing at our partner meeting. Uh, one of our partners was going on about how excited he was about uh, his gasoline delivery, right? And the fact that he just got a notification on his phone that while our while we were having our partner meeting, someone came to his car and filled up his gas tank. They drove this huge flammable truck under our building. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> Gas vapors everywhere, and they filled up his car. Right. Subsidized by a venture capital. And then they drive it off somewhere. And Howard, you said that you'd you'd looked at the math and see whatever, and that actually they're losing a couple bucks a couple bucks a fill up, but we'll make it up in volume. Yep. <laughs> well, this is one of those businesses like food delivery, or like mowing your lawn, or like house cleaning that you basically pay for the travel time and the service is free. So if you if you have density, and a lot of people like a big parking lot full of cars and the guy's going from car to car to car to car to put gas in, it can be more efficient than a gas station and make a lot more sense. And the guy's a pro and he moves faster. You don't have to worry about moving the cars. He's just moving the truck. But that's not the way it works. Because they drive here, density, right? there's not it's enough hard. density, they haven't acquired enough customers, so they drive here, then they drive down the street, then they drive up to Hillsborough, then they drive over to Woodside, and it makes no sense whatsoever. And there are two, there are two, uh, there are two zealots here at August who are believers in this service, and so... I'm a believer in it, I just do don't think I can... I do. Okay, so there are three... But that's only because it's economically yeah, subsidized no, right, by venture capitalists. It's, it's good for you, but I'm just saying, yeah. like, there are three of us who use it consistently... I don't think that our usage is subs uh, is synchronized. I don't think they're like so. That means they have three trips to August Capital, which is yeah. really stupid. If e even if they had a single trip, I do mine in the middle of the night. Oh, at your house, and it's great at night because there's no traffic. They do it between nine p.m. and four a.m. I was going to say someone actually shows up, and which is they have to drive up the hills a little bit too. It makes even less sense. Oh, I forgot you're up in the hills. That was so confusing for me for a second. You used to be in the flats, Howard. I know. Now you're in the hills. Don't know what I was thinking. Have Have you discovered any Howard's doing a, fixing some dry rot issues and some pipe issues and some issues? Ninety six year old remodel. Yeah, so it's ninety six year old house with one hundred and twenty years of deferred maintenance. <laughs> Wait, how's that possible? Yeah, that's my uh, question. 
any technology is like any, is there anything you're bringing to bear or is it just old school so I, I think the answer is and you've discovered this on your own which is when you build stuff there's lots of vendors who want to make your house the highest tech latest thing out there I want less yeah. I want simplicity. I'm taking systems out of the house. I'm making everything simpler because I think there's more complexity means more problems in the future and I just want simple. I, you, you and I talked about this that I was doing a remodel and similarly did I wanted just switches. I want, I want you to turn on and off a light. I want a fan to go on and off. And it's almost like that isn't doesn't exist. It's like, oh, I, but the fan has to stay on for 30 minutes. It's required by regulation. The recirculation uh, pump has to be motion sensor. I'm yeah. like, good, put it in, and then after the inspector comes. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. Like, it is fine. It's really hard. It's very, it's very hard. But So you're trying to remove tech. But the one thing I will say is networking, you would think by now that we would have incredibly strong Wi-Fi and you put one device in a house and it sort of doesn't matter what the house is made of and it should propagate or whatever. There's something called physics. Yeah. So I installed Eero, yeah. which I was very excited to use, but my house is old and it has Latham plaster walls. Brutal. And with three um, Eero units, no more than 20 feet apart each, could not manage the bandwidth and would keep dropping. I paid a guy to come and run Cat 6 to four rooms across the house. He only cost $300. I bought four. That's pretty good. Michael Viviani, the guy that William recommends. Awesome. Ran a whole new thing in my house. I bought four Apple um, base stations, plugged them in at each place and peered them. Now I have super fantastic. Does that work? Fantastic. So better than Eero. Way better. Sorry, Eero. Sorry, I, sold Eero. My Sorry, Eero. Eero. I sold my Eero on eBay and I got like 80 cents in the dollar. Because because uh, I have Eero and it's it, I think it's a hard thing. It's a hard yep. process, right? So you There's basically physics. need so you need wire wire line to reasonable points in the house, and then and then you pair them together. Using standard Apple, yep. the Apple, yep. uh, Apple, whatever they're called. And extremes. Do they do self peer. They they peer each peer to each other. Yeah, you just put the setting on, and then you can right. move across the house. More reliable, higher bandwidth. Old, old school. That is old school. Old school, new school. But it is amazing to me that we're still having this conversation. How long have we been having this conversation? Like a decade. We funded a Theros in 19, either 99 or 2000 when, they, when these two brilliant professors came up with the idea that they could actually move data through the air. It took them another handful of years to get a working chip and now Wi-Fi is at everything. And yet... It's not really like it's working. I had this just yesterday where my daughter was like, "Ah, oh, why isn't this working? It's not what you know. Whatever. I'm sitting outside. It should work outside." And I was like, "Which network are you on? Oh, it's on DMH, not DMH2." It's like, "Oh, <laughs> that's not gonna work," you know. But it's a little bit like, um, "Oh my God, what was I just about to say?" Uh, are we still talking about gas delivery? <laughs> yeah, we can. We can. <laughs> no, about this idea that uh, oh. It's a little bit like uh, what's happening with VR. Like you know, I assume by now we we also looked at uh, looked at um, Oculus, Oculus, which we we really liked uh, at the time. It was brand new and it was sort of made most people sick, <laughs> but it was still clear that it was going to be really great platform. And, and we were platform. convinced by now everybody who had a gaming console would have a device like an Oculus, and still nobody has them. 
yeah, they're so expensive, they're hard to distribute, they, they're low on content. So I will say, at the lobby, um, the Oculus team brought their latest version, which included this very cool motion uh, sensing uh, remotes, and I played this first-person shooter robot game where I was a robot and I was being attacked by robots and whatever. And it was super fun. I will say that, like, at some points, I, you'd, like, get lost in it and you'd bump into something and be like, whoa, what is that? Because you're like, oh, you know, you, you're in this world. Uh, super engaging. But it's a big rig and it, you know, it's just, it's hard to get content for it. And then, there, and then there's, you know, these studios that are trying to build virtual reality movies and content. It's a bit but. of a chicken and the egg problem. It's like the 3D TV problem where 3D TVs were going to sell and then everybody's going to make the content and it neither got on either side and it's sort of come and gone already. And yeah. now it's for VR goggles and I don't know anybody that owns them except for AB Cats and I just went in his office this morning. We couldn't get it working. What? Oh, you tried to boot it? And then, you know, and then... We but what sells? Snapchat. Oh, the Snap glasses. Snap what are they glasses. calling them? They're calling them Snap? They're calling them... I don't know. They're, I think they're Instead of ultra high tech, we have ultra low tech. I think their marketing is kind of brilliant, though. They, you know, they go, okay, we're going to have these glasses, and they have a camera, and they're kind of thick, and you know, they weren't trying by any stretch of the imagination to make them look uh, like, you know, to hide the cameras. Like, look, there's a big camera on my face, you know. Uh, and then, which, by the way, it's like those hats like with Google the beers Glass, in them, with right? the yeah. uh, <laughs> exactly. with the beers that you hang in the little tubes that you suck the beer out of your hat. Those are like the Snapchat glasses. Yeah, they're, they're the glass. They're the goggle equivalent of the beer go- beer uh, hat. Um, and yet, they're se- and the only way they're selling them, the only way you can get them, is if you get to the surprise location where the vending machine is put out, and then wherever the vending machine is put out, there's a huge amount of tweeting and everybody knows where it is and people rush and they empty the machine and then that's it and they're only I forget how many they're making are they on eBay oh I don't know I bet you let's find out I'd be interested in the price that's a good idea because I bet because because when you have such a limited supply there's always someone who's willing to pay a lot of money for for the thing right um but it's not Snapchat clear to me Snapchat spectacles here we go baby let's see let's buy one what is it going to cost? Uh, this one is saying f- uh, twenty five hundred bucks. What? They're in. Uh, that's for a fixed price. They have a handful of them where there's bids five seventy six, six fifty. Somebody asking fifteen hundred, three sixty, a thousand or best offer four twenty five. Exactly as expected. Supply yeah. and demand. Amazing. Completely amazing. Yeah. Speaking of supply and demand. I just had two interesting experiences with uh, with online booking of hotels and um, do you even remember what how did you get a hotel before online booking you have to like you called them on the phone and they sent you a fax confirmation and see like what they had and you had to just Mm -hmm. pick your hotel and whatever Mm -hmm. so Again, we're not talking about the election, but if we and were... This is, the answer to your question is, I'd ask Kirsten. <laughs> yeah, well, but a lot of times before you had Kirsten, before I had Sorry. whoever, is like, oh my God, how do you Sorry. how do you do that, right? You'd go to um, AAA. Remember when AAA, like one of the big things about joining AAA is that they would help you get a hotel, and they'd give this thing called the Triptych, which was like a book of a map that showed you the route. I would get one of those when I was driving from uh, from Stanford to home in New Hampshire, I'd get a triptych, which was like this big, long route. It was basically, like, stay on I-80. 
So this Forever. is back to the comment that Silicon Valley is destroying jobs because triptychs aren't necessary anymore. Yeah, not at all. And in fact, there's no need. If, there is not really the same kind of need for uh, for um, uh, travel agents, right? Like, why travel agent? Oh my God, why would I do that? I just saw that I need to go on a, a scouting trip for for uh, the lobby, and it's X day to Y day, and. I'll just go on, you know, go on United.com. I'll book it in three seconds. I don't need... You go to TripAdvisor. It will tell you the three best hotels to stay in. You'll tell you where to go. So, uh, so the inauguration, the Trump inauguration is January 20th. And on Facebook, through a, just an offhanded comment, some, as I understand it, some mom in Texas, maybe, said, we need to have a march. We're going to have a million mom march uh, the day after inauguration, January 21st. And then there was some dispute about whether you should call the Million Mom March. Well, anyway, now it's the Mom March or something on the 21st. So my wife said, we should go. I want to take our daughter. Let's go to Mom March. Okay, great. So I go online. This is now a few days ago. And I went online and first I went to Rocket Miles, which was our portfolio company, to see what, what was available. There was one hotel that had a room and the room was 1700 bucks a night. But you did get a thousand frequent flyer miles. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's not good. So then I went to Expedia and I looked and I found uh, that the Marriott, Marriott Marquis, had like a room and it was a mere 700 bucks a night or whatever. And, I, and it was everything, by the way, now non refundable. So the market has figured out that there's huge demand, therefore we don't need to make anything refundable. And so it's non refundable, 700 bucks a night. So I say, all right, well, And what they're the heck? still going to overbook. Yeah, probably. <laughs> so I booked it. You know, kind of thing. Then I went to. Then I went online to look at t- plane tickets. By the time I looked at plane tickets, the Sunday out after this March was basically sold out. Direct, and this is to San Francisco. Like nothing. It was like I had to use frequent flyer miles like to go direct. Um, then my wife Pamela puts on Facebook, "Hey, I'm going to this million mom march. Who's with me?" Bunch of her friends. I'm in it. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Where are you staying? Where are you staying? Oh, join us at the at the uh, Mark the um, Marriott Marquis. Gone. By the time between the time that I booked the Mar- Marriott Marquis and her friends started looking, there was nowhere to stay in all of Washington D.C. proper. Right now, it's un- first of all that's amazing. So you're like including Northern Virginia as well. So no, I have. So now you have yeah. to go out to. Silver Springs and mm. right, you know, it's concentric circles. So now they're going to have to move mm. out further, which is fine. But and you can figure it out because you have the technology to figure out. So that was that was one. Oh, and then the second one was this morning. I got an invite to a party uh, from um, Pandora for a CES. And I thought, oh, I haven't been to CES in a while. Maybe I'll go to CES. And so I went online to try and figure again back to Rocket Miles to figure out and. Uh, there are rooms and there are still rooms in Las Vegas because it turns out there are gazillion rooms in Las Vegas. But by the time I finished looking at rooms, Trip had convinced me that I shouldn't bother going to CES. When was the last time you went to CES? Oh, like ten years ago. I'll never go again. It's brutal. It's too crowded. And it's not. That's like read about it in the blogs. Another one. That's why do yeah. I go? Got to go for the parties. But so that's tough. If you think about the longevity of conferences, one of the challenges is that the same group of people go every year and that cohort gets older and older and less interesting, and it's the death of the conference. 
Huh, Howard, I mean... So, being a man who runs a conference, (laughs) how do you make sure... You just had the 10th anniversary. I'll call it Ode to David Hornick. (laughs) How do you make sure that you are running the leading-edge conference and you don't let that happen to it? Because people love it, and it will happen to it if you don't do something about it. Well, yeah, and the problem is that people who've done amazing stuff and have come for 10 years or whatever want to come the 11th. And... We, we got very lucky in year one and invited up-and-coming people who ended up building amazing things. Should right? have just funded them all. Oh, my God. Do you know how... We certainly wouldn't be working anymore if we'd funded everybody who went to that first Ev Williams. <laughs> well, Jack the, Dorsey. Reed Hoffman. Reed Hoffman. Uh, the founders of Uber met each other at that at the lobby. So Travis and Garrett. Uh, you know, it just... It just that... That was a point it's enough in time. to give you a stomachache. Bunch of the bunch of there, you know, Dan Rose from Facebook was there. It was just a bunch of folks, but so so ten years ago we got lucky, found a bunch of amazing people. They came and they've been coming for a long time. They're doing amazing stuff, but the reality is that the venture business is sort of a, you know, it's like cohorts, and we're in our forties, moving rapidly towards fifties, whatever, and the folks. And there are a whole new generation of folks in their 20s and 30s are doing cool stuff. And so the only way that the lobby will stay relevant and interesting and all that stuff is if we get the next you, generation. You've done folks. a good job each year. I just think you got to do it even gotta more. you got to do better. got to gotta do, do better. even better. So I guess this is fair warning. My apologies to the many folks who've come for lots of years. It's going to be hard to get you all back because we need to bring new young Well, we have to do – you have some lottery mechanism right now. Yeah, in terms sure. of Yeah. No, in fact, the lottery I always do is sort of leave open 50 slots and the theory is put in 50 new people and it ends up being fewer than 50 and then, but... What about doing it with money and just each year you go, your price doubles? <laughs> That'd be pretty amazing. You start at 3,000, so after, what's 3,000... That's uh, a big number. To ...times 10 years. So it's 3, math, 6, right? 12, 24, 48... 96, 183, 60, 720, um, million and a half bucks. <laughs> <laughs> all of you people who got your special sneakers for having come to all 10 lobbies, you owe me a million and a half dollars. Yeah. They would not come. You wouldn't come in year three, right? You, you three, six. Some would. This is like 12. doubling down in Vegas. You come, to, you come, you might come to the third, 25. I think it's the opposite. A few I think. You come to the 24th. You, you'd get some people who keep doing it out of pride. Just out, out of it would be like, ego. I've been here nine times. And you'd be like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> and imagine the bands we could bring with that kind of money. Be like, and this time we have you two, courtesy of. Josh Koppelman. <laughs> the warm-up bad you too, followed by... Yeah, exactly. Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that's great. Uh, you were saying, I didn't see it, but there was the uh, new Microsoft computer. Somebody brought them to the lobby. Yeah, no, we, one of the fun things is I, I, I called it the science fair, but along with the Oculus rigs, um, also Joe Belfiore, who, um, who's back at Microsoft after, uh, after a break, brought with him the new both the new laptop but also the new desktop computer by Microsoft and and Apple had just announced their new laptop and I have to tell you that that I that was a both of the of the computers they brought were beautiful but that desktop is so first of all the screen is just screen there's like no bezel it is a hundred percent touch screen it is I don't know if it's to twice the resolution of the uh, iMac but it is 
a significant step up in resolution from the iMac. Uh, How do they solve smudges from your fingers when people are touch screening? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, get, I yeah. hate that part. I know. Well, you, you're gonna have to get a little cloth, wipe it down. <laughs> Be my daughter's worst nightmare. She, in fact, she just got a new computer, and I grabbed it by the edge, and she's like, "No!" <laughs> my bad. No, but it was beautiful. And the whole thing, the whole screen can tilt down so it's flat, so it acts like a tablet. Uh, and it works beautifully with a pen and it has this new device that's sort of like a knob that you place on the screen and it then points it in the screen and then in the context of whatever you're working on, it changes that knob so it can change colors or it can change menus. I wonder if this was the case of they just hired one person Who's who is brilliant and I wonder who that person is because <coughs> this is not a, this is not like, oh a big team came up with a better thing, this has got to be somebody driving it yeah, I don't jo- jobsy and kind of role. I do wonder if um, you know the the guy who invented multi-touch. He had a company got bought by Microsoft, and I wonder what degree he's involved. He's a brilliant character, and but it is beautiful. I mean, literally, I sit here. I'm looking at my iMac, feeling like it's kind of dated, and maybe it's time to get a. PC. Yeah, but then you have to use Microsoft software. I know that is a little bit of an issue, but I use a lot of Microsoft software, but I use Mac Mail. I'm not sure that it's terribly better than using native Outlook. And use that more than anything. 140 a day. Yeah, or whatever the heck it is. Mm. I have a headache just thinking about it. Mm. No, those those computers are beautiful. They are beautiful. There is the Microsoft store down in the uh, uh, oh, Stanford yeah, Shopping Center. Maybe I'll go down go and check it out. Are they out on the market yet? Uh, I think so. I think Joe huh. brought it. It had just been announced. I don't know if they, that, I bet you they have them in there. Uh, I haven't looked at the new Mac laptop with its. It has a like a li- just a little strip of touch sensitive stuff that changes in context, but that computer hasn't gotten hugely good reviews. I am I am in need of a new laptop because my laptop is like slowing down by the second. Now partially it's just oh too much content, too much data. Why don't but, you just wipe it and start over? I know. Reinstall. It may, it may be sufficient. Maybe sufficient to get the thing to function, but meanwhile they keep adding bloated, you know, versions that are that need faster processing to do. So you so you have to go through an upgrade cycle. That'll be interesting if you switch. Yeah, I'm skeptical that you will. Okay, we shall see. I'm gonna go check it out. I'm gonna go down to the Microsoft store that looks just like the Apple store. Isn't it in the old Apple store <laughs> space? Was it? In I the, think so. In, yeah, it may well be. Because Apple opened that nice one right. down on University. It's across by uh, the Nike. Well, no, they have their own. No, they have one in the mall as well, but it's near the Nike store. <laughs> I think that I think that mall is number one or number. It's number one in the country for dollars of revenue per square foot, and number two in the world. Wow. Behind, maybe it's either it's Dubai or <laughs> I think Dubai is more. Or I may have my numbers wrong. Maybe Las Vegas is more, and this is number three. But it's if you if look it's at in the, the top stores, three, that's a little troubling, right? Well, it just has to do with you know location what they and sell. Yeah. and what they and it's the stores. You know, you walk down there, and if you're not Tiffany's, they're kicking you out. Yeah. You know, they have these stores where sell you sandwiches for lunch where they're losing their shirts, but they have to have that otherwise Someone people has to stay, otherwise yeah. somebody will leave the mall to go someplace else. You want to keep them there the whole day. So yeah. You have to have like that's a brunch. Right. They're and, probably subsidizing Max's Opera Cafe or whatever. Where I go to get my matzo ball soup because there's nowhere else in the Bay Area to get matzo ball soup. Is Dan Rosenswag at Chegg. 
Yeah. He eats matzo ball soup every day of the week. No, he doesn't. He does. Because he's been eat, they've been Eat Club customer for like five years. Every day, all their employees, and he's the only guy who doesn't eat it because he eats matzo ball soup every day. From where? He, I assume it's Max's or somewhere because he said, no, I don't eat that Eat Club stuff. All my employees love it, but I eat matzo ball soup every day, and you guys don't have that. Matzo ball soup is very fattening. <laughs> I mean, if you didn't eat the matzo ball... The Isn't the matzo ball like just no, a big piece of it's lard? It's like a giant, fatty you know, piece of, of like bread and lard. It's like... I mean, that's a big commitment. <laughs> what does he do for dinner? I'm just saying what I know. <laughs> you know, I had this realization during this election, which we're not talking about, but if we were talking about the election... And if we were talking about the idea that suddenly there there were these sort of increased uh, examples of anti-Semitism, I had this moment where I was talking with my daughter and I looked it up and said, like, how many how many Jews are there? Like, you know, there's like people, 84 in the whole all world. All these people like blaming the Jews. So like, how many Jews are there? So do you know? 12 million. It's like it's 14 million or something. That was close. You're very close. It would have been a lot more if not for the Holocaust. And yeah, oh yeah, no, absolutely. And in fact, I forget there are five million in the U.S. There are five million in Israel, and then the rest are sort of scattered around. But if you compared to billions of Christians, billions of Muslims, and there are five, you know, they're easy to blame. Ten million of us. Fourteen. Whatever. I'm just saying it rounds yeah, to nothing. A small number. It rounds to nothing. But well, no wonder I can't find the soup. <laughs> it's not. A, it's not a big enough market. What do you mean, Max's Opera Cafe is driving this issue? <laughs> That's probably the right ratio of places that sell matzo ball soup to everything else. <laughs> Isn't there some uh, venture back delivery service you could like matzo ball soup delivery dot com or something? There should be. If you want it funded, come to me, David Hornick, or better yet, go to the seed funds because there's so many of them. <laughs> there's plenty of seed funds available. Someone's got to fund that. So I was at one of the original seed funds, and maybe, I'm sure it wasn't the first, but it was one of the early ones, um, Draper Richards, which uh, got going in like 96 I think it was. Or so. They're, they're, very early. Very early. Like, I think Draper, Draper Richards was possibly the first. A Maybe fund of that size, right? Anyway. And it was, the, the model was invest... 500k to maybe a million or over time up to a million and a half as the the first money in you know no money in the company yet you're the first money in at a uh, I'll call it a modest valuation you'll call it a low valuation but kind of targeting you know 2 million 3 million kind of pre-money range so a million bucks buys a quarter of the company pretty much or or half a million buys a quarter of the company <laughs> yeah. kind of deal like we've had some like that um I mean, Bill Draper was telling me one of the deals, 300K bought 30%. So it was a 700K pre, and it went public, and it was worth billions. He said, that was a good deal. <laughs> but what's happened is, you know, and back then there was, you know, one or two, or maybe it became five seed funds like that. So there was really not a lot of competition. And now there's 140-ish funded seed companies. And so naturally, because of competition, prices have climbed, and it's not as great a business anymore. Well, it turns out there, there are two phenomena at, at work here, right? One is that you used to, um, you know, the seed funds, it wasn't seed funds, it was individuals. And so no individual was going to put in a million bucks. Like, actually, because Draper, Draper Richards was 
had a chunk of money early, they were doing 500K, but originally you'd do like 10 entrepreneurs would put in 50 to 100K a piece, right? And so it'd be a low price, whatever. And then these funds got started and... Like, they, like Airbnb, wasn't it like 10, 100K bought the first 10% or something? Something awesome. Like that's going to be... Good for them. That may well be that or... Um, Rob Hayes' investment in Uber will be that was like the a best, for free. Those were great. Best investments ever, right? But in both of those instances, well, the 100k in is a is a weird one. But these days, not only are there a bunch of these funds, but they need they can't share, right? They can't. It's not like okay, I want to do Uber, so you know we'll do ten firms will do it because if ten firms invested in that round in Uber, everybody'd own one percent and then over time it would be diluted down to a third of a percent. And I no take ma- that. Right? And no matter what the outcome is so yeah, but let's think about it. Even if it's two hundred million. Right? Third of a percent is two hundred million bucks now. Okay, but it, you know, if you have a if you have a hundred and fifty million dollar fund, yeah, that's that's the best deal, right? Ever, very possibly yeah. the best angel deal ever. It was better than the angel deal in 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 Facebook, right? Facebook was uh, five pre. Well, it? maybe it wasn't. Maybe Facebook is still in there. But anyway, like we're talking about the best deals in the history of time. Whereas a typical deal, you put in some money, if it works out, gets sold for a hundred million. It used to be like oh. Seed funds can do great by funding these things and they're sold for a hundred million bucks, but they can't really, right? You can't, what's, so you own 10% of a business, you put in a million bucks or, and you buy 10% and it sells for a hundred million bucks and you make $9 million. That's not going to, you know, if you, if you have a 50 So this is where you got to like sit back and say, there's somebody in Minneapolis listening to us say, well, you only made $9 million. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you had a $50 million fund. You can buy the whole town for $9 million. $1 million more to go before you're even break even. This is the problem. This is the problem I have these days. I sit and listen to pitches and it's like, I heard one this morning. Really like the entrepreneur, solving a real problem, doing something smart and interesting. If he claims 100% of the market that he described, he has $900 million in revenue. Nobody really claims 100% of the market. So let's say you get to 10% of the market, you're at $90 million in revenue. Even if a company that's making $90 million in revenue is valuable, it's only valuable because it can go to $150 million in revenue. right? So markets of that scale are really tricky to build billion-dollar businesses, which are the things that drive the economics of the venture business. Hmm. And they drive the economics of the of the seed so fund. So it can. There's very few companies where are doing seed investing that are getting enough ownership. Our friend Mark Toulouse at Mangrove, he bought twenty percent of Wix for a million dollars, and it's now worth two billion dollars, and he still owns twenty percent. So, like a hundred million dollar fund, and his one million dollar investment is worth four hundred million bucks. That one deal. And I, that was a good deal. I just saw Mark when I was at Silicon Valley Comes to the UK, said boondoggle that you were pointing to. Uh, he became chairman of Wix and as a result held his shares. And the byproduct of that was that he did end up doing really well. Yeah, it's public and worth $2 billion now. Yeah. Oh, I thought I had something for? to show you, but I can't find it. Um, but yeah, it's all about ownership, right? Yeah. Darn it. What are you looking for? I had a picture. Oh, you and him? Yeah. Going crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Darn it. 
Oh, well, you people can't see me rummaging through my office, but I'm not going to find it. Um, I like him. He's a nice guy. I enjoy Mr. Toulouse. We had a very nice... It was nice to see him at the palace. It's funny. So, Prince Andrew... Now, do you know... Do you have your, uh, your royal geography? The queen, Queen Elizabeth II, is 90. She was at this event which is completely amazing, in a purple suit, looking very regal. She met a bunch of entrepreneurs and shook their hands, and like they would, and then her son, Prince Andrew, who is Prince Charles' brother, was there as well, and he has taken it upon himself to try and encourage entrepreneurship in, in uh, the UK. And so he has this thing called Pitch the Palace. I forget, I think it's St. James Palace, and you come, and there are a set of entrepreneurs who have competed to then pitch in a pitch competition before the you know the most interesting people group of people that the that the prince can bring together and part of the draw is it's in in St. 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 James Palace Howard's <laughs> like I don't know and secondly the queen came and, and and I was really impressed with the queen because again she's 90 and she would walk down the row of all the finalists and then her handler this lovely woman who must be her secret personal secretary would say uh your royal highness or whatever this this is so and so from such and such a company and then she'd shake their hand and say very nice to meet you and then they'd have to explain to her what they did you know like oh we're making a company that creates billboards that are aware of who you are based on RFI whatever and then her son and she goes I like minority report yeah right exactly <laughs> and she would kind of listen and then her son Prince Andrew would come over if it looked like she didn't quite understand it, he'd dumb it down a little to try and explain it to her. And then she, being very charming, would sort of smile and shake their hands and be thankful. But the cool, but the smart thing, what's it, what Pr Prince Andrew is doing that is super smart is he's using the position of the, of the crown and access to this cool venue to get a bunch of people to show up. And then he says, I want you to help these companies. Like, you are here in my palace... Now do me a favor, help these companies make these into big and interesting businesses, which I thought was smart. <laughs> and obviously works, because Mark Toulouse was there, you know, checking out what people were working on, and I'm sure helping people out, which is pretty cool. When I lived in Luxembourg, that, that's where I met Mark, and he lived in Luxembourg. Once he called me up, he's like, hey, I'm going to go out drinking with the Duke. You want to come? <laughs> I was like, sorry, I got plans with my wife. Click. <laughs> Duke, 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 Duke of York, York, which is, by the way, Prince Andrew is the Duke of York. Uh, was that the Duke that he was going out Duke with? Duke of Luxembourg. Oh, there's a Duke of Luxembourg. Yeah. It's very tricky. I don't know if you saw John... I'm sure in the pecking order. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, did you see John Cleese's letter? Not that we're talking about the election, because we're not, but John Cleese wrote a letter that was, you know, dear American people, you can no longer be trusted with your democracy, so we've revoked your uh, independence, <laughs> and you're now a subject of the Queen. <laughs> I'm okay with that. It was very funny. It was very funny. <laughs> Are you okay with that? Yeah, I just met her. She's very charming. Great. I'll take that. <laughs> and suddenly... Well, I guess we'll leave it at that. I guess it's, you know... Perhaps when we next do VentureCast, we'll be subjects of the Royal Crown. I'm okay with that. Uh, and, we'll, and, we'll, and we will be at the Pitch the Palace. Uh, until that time, thank you, as always, for listening to VentureCast. I am still David Hornick. And I'm still Howard Hartenbaum. Thank you very much. Have a good one. <laughs>